Um, we'll also roll into chapter 6 a little bit. Um, this was part of the Bible reading plan that you should have been in over the last week. Uh, actually, I think chapter 5 was back like a week and a half ago last Friday. Um, but I'm just going to jump in and begin to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then I'm also going to jump over into chapter 6 a little bit. We will start in verse 14 of chapter 5. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. <clears throat> and I want you to jump down to chapter, I'm sorry, verse 11 in chapter 6. Paul says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. It's the church that he's writing to. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, <clears throat> widen your hearts also. And also chapter 7, verse 2, he appeals to them. He says, make room in your hearts for us. Let me pray one more time. Father, thanks for this morning. Lord, we love you and we need you. Father, our world desperately needs you. It always has and it always will, but Father, we, uh, we look to you this morning to do what only you can do in the hearts of men and in our hearts here this morning. Pray that your Holy Spirit would hover over any darkness that exists here today, and that as your word is spoken, that just like you did a creation, that you would take it and that you would separate the light from the darkness and that you would create good things. We can't do that. I can't do that. But you can, Jesus. There's nobody like you. And we worship you this morning. Please help us now. In your name I pray. Amen. So, uh, I say almost every week, um, mainly for those that uh, you know are visiting uh, or don't know that, you know, this year in 2020, we are reading through the New Testament together one chapter a day, five days a week. Um, and I've, I've really been thankful to God that he led us to do that uh, this year because over and over again, um, I see a beautiful providence um, from him that seems to be evidenced uh, in the particular chapters that we're reading during that week. Um, in my opinion, they seem to be timely for the season uh, and kind of the cultural moments that, that we find ourselves in, uh, in this uh, kind of chaotic year. Um, and I say that again today because if I had to pick one word that describes what the world most desperately needs um, and also what some seem to be seeking right now, it would be the word reconciliation. Reconciliation. Um, it is the primary idea that Paul is unpacking for us in this passage that I just read. It's mentioned five times in verses 18 through 20, and it's kind of the big idea that Paul organizes his thoughts around in this passage, and so it's the big idea that I want to organize um, my thoughts around this morning as well, too. 
Um, and, and here's why this is so important that we turn to God's Word to understand what reconciliation is, is because with most ideas or concepts or, or, or definitions or whatever it might be, um, the world has definitions of these concepts as well and ideas as to how we are to bring them about and as to how they are to be uh, practiced. And, and there has been a lot of talk this past week, as there should be, I think, about listening and about dialogue and about understanding. And I don't know that anybody would say that, you know, I don't know anybody that, that would say that they're against those things. I mean, we should, we should be for those things. However, as God's people and as the church, I just want to remind us that in all of the listening and in all the dialogue and all that stuff, there is one voice, brothers and sisters, that we need to listen to above all. And it is the voice of God as found in His Word. Um, and when we don't prioritize God's voice, let alone even bring His voice into the conversation, we're bound to miss the mark uh, of whatever it is that, that we're aiming at. And, you know, so, so for example, you know, the Bible talks a lot about love. The, the world has a definition of love. And sometimes it overlaps with God's definition of love, but many times it's, uh, it's opposed and contrary to God's definition of love. The world has a definition of greatness. Um, and that one very rarely ever overlaps with God's definition of greatness, which he said was to be a servant, be a servant of all, and to give your life um, for, for many. The world has a definition of marriage. God's word has a definition of marriage. And when we don't look to God for that definition, things get things get wonky. And so in the same way in the church, um, I just want to remind us this morning that, man, God delights. He delights in reconciliation. But if we don't understand reconciliation as he defines it and pursue it as he instructs us, um, then we're not going to get to taste the goodness of what he has in store for us in it, and he's not going to get the glory. Um, and what I want to say this morning is pretty simple, is that reconciliation is not possible without God. Reconciliation is a miracle that God brings about because true reconciliation has to happen in the heart. And there's only one person who can change the human heart. It's not me, it's not you. It's God. Through the power of His Word and by His Spirit. And so I think that as the church, we should be um, extremely hopeful that reconciliation is possible on a lot of different levels. Uh, because if we know Jesus as our Savior, then we have experienced the greatest reconciliation that has ever happened. And that is that sinful humans have been reconciled to an almighty, holy God. That he made a way through Christ for us to be reconciled to him. And let me say this too at the beginning that as I'm talking about reconciliation this morning, you know, there's obviously some, you know, there's a lot of angst and frustration in the culture right now. Um, and, uh, and reconciliation needs to happen there, and I pray that it does. However, I want to be clear this morning that as I talk about reconciliation, I'm primarily going to be talking about reconciliation not on so much the horizontal plane, although there are definite implications for that, but on the vertical plane in our reconciliation with God. But also, I don't want you this morning, as we talk about reconciliation, to just be thinking of all the reconciliation that needs to take place out there somewhere. How many of you have relationships this morning that are not reconciled? Anybody? There's a lot of them. There are relationships that are broken. And as we listen to what God's Word has to say about reconciliation this morning, I want us first and foremost to be thinking about our lives because here's a little something, and I don't have time to go into all this, but it's, it's a, I think I can make a case for it biblically, but um, it's kind of a theory that I have. I wouldn't get real hard and fast with it, but, but that is whenever there's brokenness out in the world and there's big things in the world that seem to be fractured or just messed up, for lack of a better term. 
I think that many times that happens because there's something similar that's broken or fractured or messed up within God's people. I believe that as the church, we are to bring the kingdom of God. We're to pray. Every time we pray, we're to pray, hallowed be your name, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And many times when we see the kingdom of God hourly not, not happening in the world or not coming through us in the way that it should, it's because there's things that God first wants to reconcile in our own hearts and our own lives. And so I say all that to say that <clears throat> as we look at God's word this morning, I just pray that uh, um, we would each be examining our own hearts and lives and to give you hope this morning that where things are not reconciled um, with man, it's impossible. It is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I need to apologize here at the beginning. I don't know, I need to stop moving around so much during worship because I literally threw my back out somehow as I was, Jesus, heal that thing. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Couldn't go on, it was taking my breath away. Okay, here we go, here we go. Here we go. That was awkward, okay. Second Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, here's what I primarily want to look at, okay, is I've, you know, I kind of said some of my aims here this morning. Here, here's primarily what I want to aim at this morning, is that I want us to be amazed at God's commitment to reconcile us to himself. And secondly, I want us to be just as committed to the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us uh, as his people. And so what I want to, the way I want to frame this and kind of walk through this out of this passage is just I want to point out three requirements of reconciliation. Three requirements of reconciliation. And again, first and foremost, framing it as such that God, uh, in his unbelievable love for us, was willing to meet these requirements so that we could be reconciled to him. And my argument simply being that these things, these things should be mirrored in our lives if we have experienced the reconciliation that God has required. So, number one, Reconciliation requires that we see people through the lens of Christ's transforming power. Reconciliation requires that we see people through the lens of Christ's transforming power. Look at verse 16, okay? Then I'll unpack a little before and after it. From now on, therefore, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. The word regard there, and I'm reading out of the ESV where he says, verse 16, from now on therefore we regard, that's literally the word for see. See, the way we view. He says from now on therefore we, we, we see no one, we view no one according to the flesh. No, in other, other words, not just according to what they look like naturally, where they come from, who their mama was, who their daddy was, what their background was. We don't view them according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the old has come. So Paul's saying we need to view people differently, but now I need to go back and unpack that. Therefore, and I'm sure you've heard, again, in preaching circles or like Bible study circles, this kind of becomes a little cheesy cliche, yet, and I hate to say it, but it, it holds true. You've probably heard a preacher say this before, but every time you see a therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for. And again, um, I, I hate saying that, but I, I get suckered into saying it every now and then. And so we need to go back and look at what the therefore is there for. Because he says, therefore, now we're going to view nobody differently. Why? Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ did something. He acted. As we talked a few weeks ago out of 1 Corinthians 15, in real time space history, he came, he died, he rose again. Not for those who were righteous, but for those who were unrighteous, every single one of us. And in him doing this, he, through his resurrection power, through his death of taking our sin, because he was sinless, so whose sin did he take into the grave? The wages of sin is death. Why did he die if he was sinless? Because God imputed our sins to him. And he went into the tomb, and then he left them there, and he rose again victorious. Christ did something so that he, could, he would view us differently, but also so that we would view other people differently. And that reconciliation, again, requires that we see people through the lens of Christ's transforming power. 
So guys, before God came, before, before He loved us, by sending His Son to die on the cross for our sins, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life, before, before He did that, His first act of love was to view us differently. And I want you to hear me here because as you go down this road, we miss this a lot of times and the gospel gets undermined. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Christ looked at me and said, man, Eric has so much potential. If I could just get him on my team, things would really go well. It's not how he viewed me. He didn't view, I'm not saying that he viewed us according to some sort of awesome potential that was in us. And so many times you'll hear people say that, you're like, oh, you were worth so much that God bankrupted heaven for you because he had to get what was, no. Christ bankrupted heaven not because you were worth so much, but because your sin cost that much. And it was an affront to his holiness. And he, Christ, chose to see you differently, not on the basis of your potential, but on the basis of his power. That he chose to see you differently, not because you would just somehow become different. No, sinners left to themselves continue to sin. And sin, over the course of life, it snowballs and it gets worse and worse and worse, individually and corporately. It's why, you know, in the, in the, um, in the account in, in Genesis at the beginning, you know, it came to the place very quickly by chapter 6 that all the intentions of men's hearts were only ever evil continually. And then God wipes them out with the flood, starts over, starts over with uh, Noah, but again by chapter 11 they're building a tower of Babel, saying we will make our name great, we will make a name for ourselves. Apart from God's gracious work acting in our lives individually and corporately, there is no hope. But God choose to see, chooses to see us differently based on His power being expressed by His heart of love. And I felt like as I was thinking about this last night, um, maybe this is just something for me personally, but I just, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just kind of pressing this on my heart and I wanted to get down into the weeds a little bit on this this morning because I feel like maybe there's somebody like you, you, uh, you've been trying really hard to love some difficult people well. There's some people in your life that it, it's hard to love them. And uh, you've been trying to change your actions and you've been trying to change your words. But it's just, it's not really working real well. Here's what I would encourage you with, is that before you love them differently with your actions and with your words, you first need to love them differently by just simply seeing them differently. That it's really hard to love Aaron, and sorry buddy, you're just right in front of me so you get the illustration, but like it's really hard to love Aaron if I just see him in his flesh. If I'm going to act differently towards him if he's hurt me, if I'm going to speak differently towards him if he's wronged me, then I need to first see him differently. Now, he may not be different, but here's how I view Aaron then. Aaron's a really bad guy, I'm telling you. He's just terrible. Just kidding. I need to first see Aaron not just as he is, but as he can be in Christ. That if Christ rose from the dead, if he took the sin of the world and rose again from the dead, then it ain't nothing for God to change Aaron. God is able to. And I need to view him not just according to what he's done, but according to what Christ has done for him and for me equally. And this, this love, Paul says, verse 14, it, it controls us. And it should change the way that we view people. Paul, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 17, he's giving his testimony in a very succinct way. And he says, now, he goes, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, God saved me and I'm an example of what the transforming power of God can do. I mean, do you remember the story of Paul that's writing this right now? Saying that we should view people differently? Paul needed people to view him differently. He helped murder, he helped stone Stephen, and he caused great pain within the church to many, many people. But God transformed him. God changed him. God made him a new creation. This is what God does. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And again, I want us to view people that have hurt us, people that we need to be reconciled with. I want us, no matter who that is in your life, I want us to view them differently. But man, guys, you you won't view them differently unless you understand God's love for you in choosing to view you differently than what you were. And anything short of this isn't really true biblical reconciliation. It's just behavior modification. And that's what the world, it's not all wrong because, you know, there's law and there's order and, you know, you break laws, you're going to get in trouble and all that stuff. But like, but guys, it's not the fullness of the reconciliation that God desires. God desires reconciliation to come from the heart, but it starts with an understanding of the gospel and God's love for us and the lengths that he's gone to make reconciliation. Let me give you another example. I was talking to a guy recently, and I was just talking about his work environment, and there's a lot of cursing and a lot of negativity. Okay. And he said, you know, I, I, I don't want to get involved in that. He said, I don't want to be involved in that negativity. I don't want to be involved in the cursing and stuff like that. And so here's how typically Christians deal with this, is they say, cursing's bad. Don't curse try really hard not to curse and so maybe you like wear a rubber band on your wrist or something and you snap it I don't know whatever you do or you I don't know what you do but you you do something to remind you're going to discipline yourself not to curse that's not Christian transformation here's gospel transformation here's 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 biblical transformation how it takes place I said to him I said okay I said where does cursing come from and I said it comes cursing comes from the cursor Negativity comes from the one who wants to make all things negative, make all things dark. If you're going to not bring cursing into that situation, instead, God, he doesn't just call us just not to curse. What does he want you to bring? He wants you to bring blessing into that situation. If you're not going to bring cursing, but instead bring blessing, where are you going to get that blessing? You first have to understand that you are blessed, that he loves you. And I said, if you're going to bring blessing into a cursing type of situation, then you have to walk around understanding that in Christ Jesus, you are blessed. Guys, do you see the difference? And so many Christians, this is where my heart goes out and my heart aches for so many people, because they're just, they're trying, they're trying as hard as they can. Don't curse, don't be negative, don't do this, whatever it may be. Don't do it rather than living in your new identity in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, that you say, oh, Eric, I don't really know if I'm blessed. Really? In Christ, he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's what Ephesians 1 says. That is true of you, whether you feel it or not. If you are in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, you wake up every morning, and you understand that you're blessed, and then you walk in that blessing, you're going to be able to bring blessing to the world. And in the same way, what I'm trying to get across is that where there is brokenness, where there is a fracture, if we want to bring reconciliation, that we have to live in the unbelievable, amazing joy of being reconciled to God. That he changed us. He transformed us. He changed the very nature of who we are. Though we once did not love him, now we love him. Secondly, reconciliation requires a cost it requires a cost or or a price um and the cost here is is interesting because it's not the cost is not paid the price is not paid this is hard guys it can be hard but the cost is not paid 
by the offender, but by the offended. This is how God reconciled us to himself. Read with me in verse 18. Paul says, all this is from God, all that he's been talking about, all that he's going to talk about, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, sorry, sorry, I lost my place. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, listen, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their trespasses against them. is that when we sin, we marred, we defamed the glory and the dignity of God. And so that offense is so great, that price is so great, that we cannot pay it back ourselves. It's too much for us. It had to be paid by somebody else. Um, and Christ not only was full of dignity, but he was full of purity. He was full of innocence. And maybe you guys have heard me say this before, but I've used this example on numerous occasions, and I've said that the uh, severity of an offense increases with the dignity of the one offended. And so usually the example I give is that if my boys are kind of talking disrespectful to each other, that's bad, we don't want that to go on. But if they talk disrespectful to their mother, it takes it to another level, okay? Follow? In the same way, not only does the severity of the offense increase with the dignity of the one offended, but the severity of the offense increases with the purity or the innocence of the one offended. And the one that we have offended is infinitely pure and innocent. By innocent, I don't mean, I don't mean simple, but I mean sinless. The Christ Jesus was completely pure and innocent. You know, this is going to sound really, really simple. But I, for me personally, I just, I've had kind of a fresh illumination and, and just been meditating on this idea that Christ is the Lamb of God. We live out at Lake Buckhorn, and so every day I come in this way, though, and this is where we do most of our business, school and all that stuff. And so every day I drive through Saltilla. Anybody been to Saltilla? Downtown, South, don't, don't blink, you might miss it. It's a booming metropolis. Um, but every day, I usually more than once a day, I drive through Saltilla, and there is this field right there past the Y or whatever, and there are these little, tiny, baby lambs. And I've actually been saying something to hand the boys like, as we drive by, I'm like, look at those little lambs. And they're like, why are you so fascinated with lambs? But... I, I, every day, I try, and I'm like, it, it, I don't think you could. I don't think you could come up with an animal that could better represent innocence and purity. And you talk about the severity of the offense increasing with the dignity of the one offended, and you talk about the severity of the offense increasing with the innocence of the one offended. And then dignity, innocence, dignity, purity. You know, th th those two things. You've got Christ. And he is the Lamb of God, pure and innocent that takes away the sin of the world. And at the same time, he is also the Lion of Judah. You think, you think about those, those two animals and what they represent and why they're used to describe Christ. That he is both, both pure and innocent and at the same time, like the Lion, there's nothing more dignified. And he is both, and we have offended both of those things with our sin. And it marred the glory of God when we were created to display the glory of God. And there was a cost. And the cost was paid by Christ. And he did not count our trespasses against us 
But verse 21, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And guys, I just want to say this, that in the same way that we could never pay the price for an offense that we've committed to God, I want to say this, that Christ also died for the offenses that have been done to you. And he also died for the offenses that you've committed against other people. Is that yes, every sin that we commit, no matter what it is, is a sin against God, but many times we sin against other people as well. And the people that you have sinned against, you can't pay for the dignity that you've robbed them of. If you slander somebody, if you abuse them, if you hurt them, if you tear them down, you can't pay that back. That too had to be paid by Christ. And if you've been sinned against, which all of us have, all of us have in different ways, and if you've been sinned against and somebody has marred the dignity of the glory of God, you've been created in the image of God, you know, this is why, guys, for forgiveness, like, don't, and reconciliation, don't, don't be simplistic about these things. And in fact, I want to just get into a little bit of nuance here, because this is, and this is just something that the text is touching on, but it's one of the things that I run into on a very, very consistent basis in kind of at times helping counsel people through um, different situations in their lives, is that we have got, you have got to understand the distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation is that forgiveness is your, like God requires that of you as a disciple. He requires you to forgive. You don't get to choose. Because he has forgiven you, he says that you are to forgive others. Very quickly, there's this, there's this parable in Matthew chapter 18, and I'll just kind of sum it up here, but you know, Peter says to Jesus, he says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Should I forgive him seven times? Jesus says, no, I do not say to you, forgive him seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, this is hilarious. We don't understand this, but 10,000 talents, one talent is worth 20 years' wages. So take whatever you make in a year, multiply it times 20, and then multiply that times 10,000. In other words, Jesus is saying here, he's being extremely over the top. He's saying, there was a servant that was brought to a man and he owed him a bazillion dollars. And because the man could not pay the bazillion dollars, he fell down, you know, before the king and he said, please don't throw me in jail. Please don't punish me. Please have mercy on me. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which would be like a couple hundred bucks. And this guy that had just been forgiven the bazillion dollars went out and found a dude that, you know, that owed him a couple hundred bucks. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you, but he refused. And obviously... The king or the master then heard of this and he was not pleased with the servant who had been forgiven the bazillion dollars that he in return did not show the same type of mercy and forgiveness to others. Brothers and sisters, God requires us to forgive. He requires us to forgive. And you can't always bring about the feeling, but you do need to make the choice and you need to view the wrong that's been done to you in light of the wrong that you have done to God. And when you do that, then the Holy Spirit, over time, sometimes it's difficult, but you still make a choice. You declare that you are going to forgive because God has forgiven you. But there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is required of us as disciples, but reconciliation is a miracle. It's a miracle. Because reconciliation takes two. And if somebody has sinned against you, you may forgive them. You're required to do that as a disciple of Christ but you cannot be reconciled until there's been a transformation in their life. And that transformation only happens, as, we just, as I just talked about earlier, if they turn to Christ. But only in Christ is anybody made new. And so many times in the church, we, we get this so backwards and so we are so ridiculously simplistic about this. Whether it's wives that are being abused, or, well, you just need to forgive him and move on. It's not that simple. God doesn't require women to be punching bags. 
for children that have been abused. Well, they said they were sorry. Well, it's not that simple. You forgive them, but you don't let your kid around an abuser. There are some things that won't be fully reconciled until heaven. In order for reconciliation to take place, there has to be a miracle where both sides are made new in Christ. That there is a real transformation. This is why at the heart of the gospel that we preach, we're not just looking for outward decisions or just you know, outward behavior modification. We're looking for transformation that comes from the heart that's a miracle, that God does. And this is the message that God has given us to proclaim. And if I can rant just very, very briefly, it's driven me nuts over the last couple weeks how the church has just jumped into the narrative of what reconciliation is that the world seems to be putting out there. I'm for unity between all races, between all of mankind, but church, listen to me. The only way true reconciliation, lasting reconciliation, is going to happen is through the gospel. It's through being unified. No matter what color, what race you are, through this unifying fact that every single one of us is sinful in the eyes of God. And every single one of us needs a Savior. And Christ Jesus came to die to purchase for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. And it's in moments like this when there is brokenness, when there is hurt, that the church, we should have great empathy. We should want to hear. We should want to listen. And we should preach the gospel. Let me give you another illustration that maybe won't be as maybe inflammatory as everything is right now. But we, we, I, I've taken several trips out to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. I, and I've shared this with you before. I, I, don't have, I kind of forget the numbers now. But over the course of American history, the American government has made over 400 treaties. I want to say it's 430, but over 400 treaties with Native American people. The American government has broken every single one of them. Now, should, should we reconcile, should we make, yeah, like I feel we should, like it's, it's, it's wrong. When you see what we've taken from them and what we've left them with, it's really, really wrong and it makes me angry. But here's the thing, I cannot, no matter how much I want to, pay back what has been taken from them. The only hope for their hearts is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they somehow would choose to forgive in light of the forgiveness that they receive from God. And so we go with humility, we go with brokenness, we go with trying to listen, we go with trying to understand, and we go with the message of the gospel. That Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone can ever heal the hurt that has been done. Listen, whether to a people's heart or to an individual's heart. Only Christ can heal. And lastly, what reconciliation requires here, again, it requires that we see people through the transforming power of Christ. It requires that there be a cost. Um, but also it, it requires a heartfelt appeal. And this is pretty simple, but let me explain this quickly, okay? And this is important. It's because one of the things that's so unique about 2 Corinthians is, is that the primary thrust throughout the whole letter in the original context, Paul writing to this group of Christians in the city of Corinth almost 2,000 years ago, is what makes this letter unique is that Paul is defending himself. He's defending his ministry. If you remember 1 Corinthians, Paul said some really harsh things because this church needed to hear some really harsh things because they were living in a lot of sin. Um, as with most people, when you confront them in their sin, they didn't always receive it well, and the Corinthians didn't receive it well. At the same time, there was this other group that rolled in of, of, of teachers and preachers, and we're going to read about them this week, and they start in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul calls them the super apostles. Look out for the super apostles this week if you're doing the Bible reading plan. And so this, this group of super apostles has come, and they said, oh, was Paul mean to you? 
oh, that mean Paul, he's such a meanie. And so throughout the, throughout the letter, what Paul is doing, he's writing back, he goes, guys, guys I, I, I'm, look, I know I may have hurt you, but I needed to, like, we, we need to be one in Christ. And so Paul is, he's appealing to, he, he's, he's weaving in and out of calling them back to the reconciliation with God, as he's doing here, but also wanting to be reconciled with himself. And this is why, and again, I know I'm throwing this at you quickly, we don't have to get time to get in and look at all of the argument, but why I jumped ahead and I read into 2 into Corinthians chapter 6, because after he appeals here to the gospel and are being reconciled to God, his point is that he wants to be reconciled, not just vertically, but horizontally with the Corinthians. And here's what's required in order for reconciliation to happen, is a sincere, heartfelt appeal Paul says in chapter 6, verse 11, he says, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. You are restricted not by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In other words, he's like, look, you're, you're, you're letting your feelings get in the way. You know that we love you. Verse 13, he says, in return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Chapter 7, verse 2, he says, make room in your hearts for us is that if reconciliation is ever going to happen, and again, it's a miracle, because no matter, even if you appeal to, how many of you have been in this situation? Somebody has hurt you, you've wanted to forgive them, you've wanted to move on, you've been trying to act like a disciple, you say that you forgive them, you hold out your heart to them, and they crush it. Anybody been there? Welcome to being a disciple. It happens at times. And here's, what can happen over the long haul of your walk with Christ. Again, this is very practical and very real, and I really think if you hear me here, it'll help you. Is it over the long haul of following Jesus? I want to tell you something straight up. Maybe nobody told you this, okay? You will get hurt. It'll feel like people rip out your heart and dance on it. And not just the world, but people in the church. People that are Christians, but they're not acting like Christians. People like the Corinthians. And what happens over time is, is we lose the power of the message of reconciliation because we, we don't choose to live in the reconciliation and in light of the reconciliation that God has given to us. And what happens over time is we have our heart hurt, and then we just like, ah, uh, no, thank you. I'll take that, and I'll go over here, and I'll lock it up, and I'll put it away. And nobody's ever going to hurt me like that again. Listen, I, I'm not for, like I said, again, this is a very nuanced thing, and there's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts in what, the, in what the circumstance is. But part of what I want to say is, is a Christian... There has to be a heartfelt appeal at some point if there's ever going to be reconciliation. And I think that the reason that Paul is able to continually open up his heart to the Corinthian church, even though they've heard it, is because he is absolutely amazed that God has opened up his heart to Paul. And again, reconciliation is not possible just in human terms. It's a miracle. But if we do not live in amazement of what Christ has done and the price that he paid, then it will never be possible. It's risky. And again, right now, you may be thinking outwardly and with all the Republican, Democrat, black, white, left, right, you know, rich, poor, what, whatever. That's not... I'm concerned about that, but let's just talk about your life for a second. This happens in marriages all the time. All the time. And again, for those that have been married for longer than, you know, six months, past the honeymoon period, it's like, at times it's like, oh, she, he did that again. Oh, she said that, she said that again. And you just begin to just withdraw. You take that heart and you put it away your marriage is going to begin to die. And hear me. 
Eric, are you telling me that if I get my heart back out and, and I make a sincere appeal and, and I forgive and I will we'll go for reconciliation, that you're telling me that everything's going to be okay and I'll never get my heart hurt again? No. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you to let God hold your heart. And I'm telling you to live in light of the way that God has opened up his heart to you. And it's hard. It is hard. It is hard. And sometimes, again, you know, we, we quote that scripture, Jesus said, if anybody wants to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And so we're thinking, man, I, I, I'm going to the mission field. I'm going to Africa, maybe. Maybe you just need to go talk to your husband or to your wife or to your mom or to your dad or to your son or to your daughter or to your neighbor. You need to take up your cross. You need to carry it to that place. Um, again, all this is, is, the love, is the love of Christ. Very quickly, this is it's one of my favorite books. I read it to you from it a couple times a year. But The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Again, he says, Mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has to, has to do something to merit it, then it isn't mercy. Um, but forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting the forgiveness. And he goes on, and again, his whole, this whole book is about the story of the prodigal son. And he says, Jesus was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with a dignity and standing that we don't deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely by grace. There, Jesus drank the cup of eternal justice so that we might have the cup of the Father's joy. There was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of the true older brother. That's Jesus. There's a cost, guys, to relationships. There's a cost to following Christ. Um, and again, not in any way minimizing the pain, but understanding that God understands the pain. Uh, because nobody has paid a price like he's paid. Worship team, you can come up, and we'll begin to close. Um, a couple questions just as we close. Number one, is there somebody in your life that you need to see differently? Is there somebody that you need to view differently? Is there somebody that maybe you've been saying you've been trying to love them in action, in word, in deed, whatever, but maybe the first act of love is that you need to look at them differently. You need to look at them in light of the cross, that Jesus shed his blood for them just like he did for you, and that his power has the power to transform them just like it's transformed you. Is there somebody that you need to view differently? Um, very practically, very brass tacks, is there somebody that you need to be reconciled with today? Eric, I just want the worship team to play and play the pretty music and make this comfortable. Sorry. Is there a phone call you need to make as you're walking out the doors today? Is there somebody's house you need to go to today? You need to say, brother, sister, I'm sorry. If there is, then listen, we are going to sing a pretty song or whatever here. And you're like, That's great, but if you're not going to do that and the Holy Spirit, again, I'm not telling you to, I'm asking, is the Holy Spirit telling you to do this? But if, you're gonna, if we're going to sing the songs about redemption but then not live it out, then we're honoring him with our lips and our hearts are far from him. Disciples walk in obedience, not perfectly, but steadily and progressively in Christ's likeness. Um, then lastly this morning, I just want to say this, is that if you're deeply aware of your sin against God, and maybe that sin against God was a sin that you committed against somebody else, with all my heart, listen to me, you might be trying to do your best to make up for it. 
I'm going to pay them back and you, you, you're sincere. Listen to me. You can't. You can't. There was one who paid the price for all sin. It was Christ. And I just want to let you know this morning that total freedom is found in His forgiveness for you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. Christ will take it. He will forgive it. And He can change you. He can change you in the best and most necessary way from the heart. Not just outwardly modifying your behavior. Amen? One simple little thing. I, I, um, I, uh, uh, I threw a, an audible, a curveball at the worship team this morning and I asked them if we could close with this song. It's kind of an old song. Here I am to worship. It talks about light of the world stepping down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. And, uh, and I, I came here this morning late and I asked him if we could sing it. And I just, as I was meditating upon this passage this morning, this, I, I don't know if it was this past week on a Tuesday or Thursday, maybe it was the week before, I don't remember. But during prayer, during our prayer time, one of those mornings, um, John Schrock, who was there at prayer, he just started quoting the words to this song. And he didn't sing it. I don't know if he can sing or not, so maybe it's good that he didn't. But he just, he just said it. He just said, light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. And man, that just, during prayer that morning, the Lord just took those words, as simple as they are, and he just, he just shoved them down into my heart, into my spirit in kind of a profound way. And after everybody left, I went into the big room at the hub, and I got on the keyboard, and I'm not great at the keyboard, but I just kind of, dan, 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 dan. and man, I had, I had a time of worship like I haven't had in a long time, especially in regards to the kind of the bridge of this song, where it just says, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. And I just want us, as we sing this morning, man, I tell you what, guys, we need the light of the world once again on so many different levels to be gracious to us and to step down into the darkness and to open our eyes and to help us to see. And the primary thing that I hope that we see as God's people is just how much it costs to take our sin upon that cross and to forgive us. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. And Father, we just ask that as we sing, that you would heal our hearts, that you'd help us to obey.